Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Black Coffee with a Little Sugar. I'm Stan. I'm Jason. And I'm Yvette. Happy to be back with you guys and um, we're going to um, really cover some heavy issues today. Um, we're going to go fast because we have a lot to cover. Um, we're going to cover an issue that people have been talking about nonstop for for some people, it's been months, but for some people, it's been a lifetime. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, policing and, and you know, there's a lot of talk about defund versus reform. And, you know, we happen to have an ex-officer among us, Jason. And um, so we're going to let him really kind of explain, you know, what, what goes on in the heads of people. And, and so we're going to do that. Um, before that, though, we've got some things to cover. Um I, I want to start by um, saying that, you know, somebody, dear friend of mine who who <laughs> listens to this podcast, um, she mentioned to me this week, you guys talk about everything, but you never talk about women and how they're getting through COVID. And so we're going to fix that today. Um, we're going to kick this off and pay a little tribute to people who deserve it. Um, there are a lot of people who are doing a lot of things to get through this pandemic. And um, I don't know if there's any category... Um, that's doing more than than women, single women, women who who are taking care of their careers and their babies too. So I'm gonna let um, fitting. I'm gonna let Yvette kick that off because she's a woman, aren't you a woman, Yvette? Yeah, last I checked, I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but to think about all the things that I do, uh, I couldn't do I couldn't do it without um, the support of my husband Phil. He, he picks up and does whatever is needed to do in the house, whether it's cooking a meal or doing some laundry or helping with homework. He doesn't complain. He just digs in and does it. I mean, he's the glue of the family. Um, I feel like he is a rock star. But, you know, for me personally, it's just been challenging to be all the things that I need to be for my kids. So I'm mommy, I'm teacher, I'm counselor, I'm buddy, um, I'm the karate mom it just really gets hard to compartmentalize and figure out what I need to do for my husband and my businesses and then carve out time for myself. But I, I know that um, I can uh, at least get up earlier or maybe stay up later to, to have that time for myself doing a little bit of meditating and, and journaling. But, you know, um, Jason, so how, how is your family handling um things and who do you want to give a tribute to well thank you and you know mine's an easy one you know I, we've we've been blessed and fortunate and, and that my wife sarah has been the household ceo cfo uh chief child care for, you know now teacher uh for for quite some time and i, I couldn't i couldn't do it without her uh it's been an amazing transition. She had just gotten to a point where all the kids were in school. So she was starting to look at how she could volunteer and do a bunch of other things. She took a, a, a silent auction that the school district had done for years and turned it into an online auction and a quick pivot right at when we closed down. Um, and now she's talking about how to organize and help other parents who uh, have to go into where they are um, to work on how we're going to do distance learning. And she, and even through all that, and when, when Stan and I sit there over bourbons and cigars and say, Hey, let's do a podcast. Um, think of about eight hours of eight to 10 hours every week. And some of your Saturdays that, okay, hon, she goes, yeah, go ahead and do a podcast. So it's, uh, 
she's a saint is probably too 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 low of a title for her, but uh it's stressful she she wants to be mom she doesn't want to just be teacher she doesn't you know and having to balance that and having to be both of those things um it, we i do you know we try very hard to make sure we can give, give her that time to to balance out and have time with uh, other folks so um i love you sarah thank you and just uh, uh everybody out there that's trying to do it together uh during this is uh, major props major props stan yeah but before i talk about me I, I get to when we're done with this i get to go hang out with that superstar sarah and you guys <laughs> so let's hurry up and finish this podcast um but um i i understand what it's like to you know at one point in my life you know have a a a person that stayed home and, and took care of the kids while I worked. And um, so I, I gained a, a lot of respect for that, that situation. Um, didn't take it lightly, didn't take it for granted. And now, you know, I'm in a situation where half of the time I'm, I'm a single dad half the time. So I get it. Um, I am not comparing myself to like a single mom that has three kids and two jobs and doing that. I'm not by any means. I'm, am I comparing to that, but I get it. It's a lot of work. Um, you do laundry, you cook, you clean, you, you, you take care of the animals, the pets, if you have them, and then you got back to school and, you know, and then you have, if you have a job, you got to do that. And then you, then you don't have any time. So, so our, our, you know, our thoughts and, you know, I think we want to pay tribute to, to women that are doing, going above and beyond during this tough time. So we want to do that. We did that. So, yeah, yeah. They much, much love to to that. And and again, we do also have to transition back to another sad, sad week in America. We we lost uh, again. It seems like every week we keep talking about someone we're losing. Um, and this week, John Thompson, uh, just legendary basketball coach, um, you know, uh, mentor, and and uh, to many, many men, you know, many, many star athletes you're going to know, but just, um, it, it's again, one more person gone that could help us guide us through crazy times. I think the one story I heard over and over again is the fact that he kept a deflated basketball on his, on his desk. And he did it because he told everybody this, the life is more about the more than this game, more than this ball. It, life is much more than that. And I think that's a, an important thing as we talk about how we see everybody struggling through this pandemic. Stan, I know you got some yeah, I think I was going to let Yvette go before me on this one. Go or, ahead. Is it, or is it me? Is it my turn? <laughs> it could be your turn. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'll I'll go back in the day, you know, and he was the only black coach that I ever saw in college basketball that was doing really well. And so that meant something, just this visual of it. And, um, you know, he was absolutely a father figure. To, to his players. Um, when you look at Georgetown University, it's one of the most prestigious universities in this country. And um, all of a sudden you see a bunch of black young guys um, kind of dominating the television screen. It was, it was, it was an awesome thing to see. Um, and then my personal, you know, story where I learned a lot about John Thompson was through the eyes of Dean Smith, you know, God rest his soul. He's gone. But um, you know, the connection of Dean Smith and Roy Williams at Carolina, um, they were really close to John Thompson. Um, you know, Dean Smith, um, he coached the Olympics and um, he made John Thompson one of his assistant coaches. And I'll, I'll always go back to 1982 when Jordan, 
you know, hit that last shot to win the national championship, but he actually didn't win the game at that point. Um, there was a guy named Freddie Brown who, after he, he made that shot and Georgetown was going to go down and, and try to make, you know, try to take the lead or, you know, tie or whatever, um, he called timeout. Well, he didn't call timeout. He, he actually passed the ball to the wrong player. He passed the ball accidentally to James Worthy, and that ended the game. And I'll never forget, you know, John Thompson consoling that 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 young guy and and making him feel that was like, yo, he took the coach hat off and he became daddy and he embraced him. And I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget, you know, how gracious um, John Thompson was in that loss. And the stories talk about this is why they were so close and um, Dean Smith and Roy, because when John Thompson, when it, when it was his turn to win, they were extra happy um, because he had earned it and he deserved it because he's went through so much more than any other of those white coaches did. So, so that's my tribute, Yvette. Yeah. So what you may not know about me is that I love college basketball. I love college basketball. And, um, and another thing is, is that I also love Allen Iverson, um, the answer, AI, whatever you want to call him. Um, <laughs> we ain't going to leave practice alone. It ain't a but, game. This ain't a game. About practice? I, y'all stop talking about Allen. He all right. Oh, I love him, man. No, no. <laughs> I'm a Sixers guy. But for me, it's, you know, I get kind of choked up, you know, and, and looking at his uh, memorial on Twitter, he says that, you know, pretty much that John Thompson saved his life. I mean, when you think about that, somebody to save your life and give you a chance. I mean, Mr. Thompson believed in him. Uh, Allen's high school years had a lot of trouble in him. Um, he had some felony counts. They they were later dropped. But when maybe other colleges passed him over, John Thompson gave him a chance. And to to say that you know he saved his life and to to end his tribute with your your prodigal son, Hoya for life. Listen, he played for the 76ers, the Nuggets, the Pistons, the Grizzlies. Yeah, that don't matter. But he, he said that he said that he was a Hoya for life. John Thompson changed a life. Mm-hmm. And if one life can change the world. I really do believe that. So um rest well, coach. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um yeah, we could go on and on and talk about that. And, you know, so we're going to move on um, to lighter topics. Not really. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about something that we've kind of touched on in almost every podcast. Um, there's so much going on right now in this in this country involving police, law enforcement, and, you know, how they're handling the situation, how they're not handling the situation. And, you know, Jason and I are in Minneapolis and you know, it's kind of the epicenter for things that happened. Um, so we're getting the front row seat to some of this. But we're going to kind of talk a little bit because Jason had a front row seat in life, too, way before this, when he was a cop. Um, and we kind of touch on it, but we're going to kind of go into that today. As much as I hate it, I think most of us know that we need police. You know, we need them. Um, um, I'm torn because I, I haven't had great experiences with law enforcement. And, and I said in another podcast, I'll say it again. I am absolutely lucky right now because I'm working with 
um, about three former officers um, every day in, in the in the company that that I'm partnered in, and they're great people. And I've gotten to know them, and they're good people. They're parents. They they care, but man, they're not a reflection of what's going on in society right now. Uh, we have so many reasons not to like some of the police, and we're kind of get into that. But what does it mean when they say defund? You know, most people talk about defunding, and I know our city council brought that up, and I didn't get it. And most people where I live right now, they don't necessarily get it. I think some of the people who are more, I'll use the word progressive or activist driven, they understand it, but we need to understand it. And um, it doesn't make sense. And and I kind of blame the media a little bit. We always blame the media. The media kind of, they need to do a better job of explaining things. And, and um, it might be about the words they're using, defund versus reform. But um, Jason is our, 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 our resident expert in this area. So I'm going to let him talk about it a little bit. Yeah, thanks, Dan. And one of these days we got to get Vitals Aware Services to do a sponsorship of the, uh, of the podcast because uh, you're doing some amazing work in trying to get ahead of uh, some of these issues. But I think you were right. I think politicians, uh, at least especially our city council, should have hired you or, or somebody to be a better marketing support before they started using terms like defund, because as soon as you say that, um, it starts talking about taking away. And instead of instead of changing how uh, things work, I, the, uh, any officer worth their salt will tell you that they would in, uh, enjoy not having to do all the different things police are asked to do every day. They are asked to do stretch and do so many different things, uh, be social worker, be, you know, homeless advocate to be uh, you know mental health specialist they're not allowed to go out and protect uh, they're 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 asked to do a million other things and those that I've heard that are speak intelligently around defunding um, talk about it as a reform as properly funding all of the other supports that are out there and and the problem is when you start saying well we're going to take it away from the police first now you're starting to come after folks jobs and their safety and their health and I think no one on any side of this gets it you know, we saw this week uh, where President Trump goes to Kenosha um, and ends up comparing what happened to Jacob Blake to a golfer missing a three-foot putt. And and it's just so, so telling to me how no one gets the depth. There's, I have friends that live in Kenosha. They're, they're, you know, there's a GoFundMe for the officer because, you know, he's supposed to be a great guy and I don't know him and he's being judged on his worst day. And, that, and that's not necessarily always fair because people don't understand what was going through his head. I have no idea what was going through Jacob's head. I have no idea, but we are talking about it in such a, just easy, it's like, it's something simple. And, to, and really to call it a three foot putt. I, I just, I hope that all those folks that thinks, you know, he supports law enforcement get how much he has no clue of what they go through every day and what needs to change at the core of what they do. I just, I, cops, cops want to do better and they want to be better. And, and they've, and then history, they've been better. I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's just frustrating. It's like, here he goes again. I mean, the president can just be so insensitive to, to these sorts of situations that you, you get lost for, um, for words. Um, but I know that I have a, a personal story that I'll talk about. Uh, include it involves my my little brother Stan. Um, <laughs> yes, my baby brother. Um, I remember that we were shopping with our mom, um, and 
in Manhattan. I what remember, city is that, Yvette? What city is that? <laughs> what city is that? <laughs> NYC, baby. In New York. Yeah. <laughs> even with a even with a southern twang, I'm still a native New Yorker. Um, but we were doing some Christmas shopping, and if you have ever spent any time in New York City um, downtown, you'll know that they have some of the best displays. Um, in the windows ever from Sesame Street to whatever's popular on TV. At least it was that way, you know, in the in the 70s. Well, you know, we were walking along. We had been shopping and doing all the things. And um, all of a sudden, my brother is missing. It is Christmas time in New York City. And we are just kind of like in a panic. And um, so we go back to the store. It was I think it was Abraham and Strauss that we were um, actually near and around. And um, when we get back to the store, here's my baby brother, you know, with with the police. And um, there was no thought that any harm would come to him because he was with the police. They were taking good care of him. I mean, he was he was a, he was a little boy. And they did what they needed to do. And my mom was grateful. But, you know, you you, you would be, hope to believe that um, it would be the same now. But you just get a little scared that maybe it wouldn't. Um, but that was a story that ended up great because of NYC law enforcement taking care of a, a little boy who happened to be my baby bro. You know, it, it this this is um, a good story because it's a good example of how, you know, officers. There are a lot of great officers out there, and they're doing the right things. And I and I believe that most officers in that situation would be good to me. And I was I was little, I was young, but I I don't know if they'd been as as nice to me if I was a little bit older and a little bit bigger at that time. And, and that's that's part of the issue. Um, and just to put a plug in um, for the Vitals app, because I can, um, I believe like situations like that are going to be um, lost children is going to be something of the past once people understand the technology that we have. So that's a different day, a different podcast. But um, I do want to, you know, my, my history with the police is long and, and, and not too good. And like any other black boy growing up in the South, um, you know, I wanted to do things. I wanted to get out. And, you know, I remember going to the stores and be followed, being followed. I remember going to a store one time and being accused of shoplifting, which I didn't do. And Yvette's connected to that. I was actually buying her birthday present. And um, they interrogated me for 45 minutes until they told me that I could leave. But it traumatized me. Um, and then as an adult, yesterday, I went um, back to school shopping with my son and um, he was, we were, we were being followed and, you know, I'm so used to it, um, not by the police, but that, that time it was by security people. And um, after it was over, he looked at me, he's like, are we being followed? Were we being followed? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so, 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 but the, the worst story in, in my history of not liking them, it, it grew to an all time high when I was in a school building and, and my, my baby boy was having some challenges um, that he is absolutely getting better and overcoming every day. But he was having some challenges and we were trying to figure out what was going on. He would get escalated um, in school and in the class. And that would, you know, take the form of 
of tearing up papers, um, you know, just being destructive. And um, all the people that handle him on a regular basis, including the teacher, they knew if they would just leave him alone for three to five minutes, he would be okay. But this one officer, they called officer, um, first mistake, and he didn't know what was going on. And he was, and he decided that he was going to take charge and quiet this nine-year-old boy. Next thing we know, this nine-year-old boy is in handcuffs. And I'm sorry, that should never, ever happen. That should never happen to an elementary kid. Figure out some strategies, figure out what to do. But um, that, when I, when I think of officers, that has to come up. That has to come up. And I don't tell that story often, but I'm sharing that with the world today. Um, that That's my history with the police. And Jason, thank God yeah. you, you're my best friend, so I, I can have a good vision of it too. Yeah. And, and you're right. That should never have to happen. And I think the key to part of that story that you told was the fact that they called the police officer. So for a nine-year-old boy who they knew and they worked with, <clears throat> instead of working it out, instead of supporting him, they said, well, we need a police officer to handle this. And, and for me, you know, that's where I think a lot of this starts. Police officers are getting called into things that they should never have to get called in for. Story I've got for today, and I got many, but we had a, uh, back when, you know, 10, 12 years ago now, um, smaller town I worked in, and we had a local guy who just, he was one of those guys who didn't like to follow the rules. He would have the broken down cars on his property. He'd have, you know, have bonfires when you shouldn't have them, all those kind of things. And neighbors, instead of working with them, they'd call us. And one day I'm driving around on patrol and all of a sudden I get a call for a fire complaint and it was an address. And I'm like, oh boy, I walk up to the fence line. I see him. I say, hey man, you know, come on, just, just you know, you're not supposed to burn stuff. Just, just put the fire out. And he comes charging to the fence line, get the hell off my property, yelling and cussing and screaming at me. And in that moment, yeah, I probably could have, I probably could have stepped back. I probably could have backed away, but there's the problem. We, we teach police officers that they are there to win the fight. They are there to control the situation. So he comes charging to me and I wasn't going to get charged at. So we end up tussling and wrestling. I end up having to call for help. He ends up biting my arm, uh, you know, and he ends up in, in a court case and I end up with all kinds of paperwork and, and, and a fight in front of kids who are there just with him who get to see me wrestling around with their, with their uncle and, and just all of this trauma over a fire that either you could just, as a, as a neighbor, you could either ask nicely or you could just live with, but here they did, they called the cops to do it. And instantaneously it escalated. And that was, that was, I'm white. He's white. That had nothing to do with, with all of the extra piece that goes into racial bias and, and institutionalized racism. That's just simply power control and fear. And when you mix those things together, you are not going to get a good result. And if we can get to that, and if we can talk about that, then maybe a lot of these officers out here who are feeling personally attacked can open up their minds to the fact that they do need to change their practices. Because it, 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 that's it, when you start getting personal, when you start making it feel like you're just under attack all the time, it's really hard to have a good conversation about what needs to change. So... So what do you think? Um, have police officers changed or is this the same old, same old thing? I think a lot of it is the same because, again, I think it comes down to that power. I think what we're seeing is 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 um, is just we're seeing it more. I mean, I, I've got stories of old time cops who talked about how 
uh, way they did things and they'd come in and just thump folks and, and walk away and then no paperwork. And, um, they, it was, it was control. It was, it, the, the, the institution is built on power and control. And, and when you get into it, you, you, it's built in your mind, it's built on protect and serve. But once you walk in the door, now you, you get to, you learn it's power and control. One of the first, uh, sergeants I had, we, we had a mall in the town we worked in and he, uh, he was taught, walking me through and he said, you know, what's the profile of a shoplifter? And anybody who knows, knows there's no profile of a shoplifter. But to Stan's point, his answer was black male, 22 to 24 years of age. That was his mindset. Uh, they were also a town that wanted to get, you know, everybody needed to get tickets, 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 write tickets, enforce and collect. So you've got this power and control structure versus this protect and serve structure that is in place in many places. And that's where I think it's just gotten, um, it, it hasn't been different. They have power. And, and we know the statement of power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So if you have the ultimate power to do whatever you want with impunity, sooner or later, that's going to get used poorly. It's just like, well, how do we get, I mean, how did we get here? How do we get to this point? I mean, I know it's been going on for years and but I guess now people can be caught on cameras and social media and so many different um, people are saying that um, now history is being told right from your iPhone. So um, it's kind of crazy. You know, and I, I would make the argument that, you know, I think right now people think that we're in a place where it's like at an all time low. And I would make the argument I am sure that, that that's not the case. I'm sure that it was bad for a long time. It was always bad. But, you know, now we have this cool technology that we can document some things. But, you know, growing up in the South and, and, and you know, when I was a, a young reporter, I remember covering, I covered the cops for two years and it gave me a lot of experiences. You know, I was running around and I've, I've dealt with murders. I've dealt with fires. And, you know, I remember, I remember driving my car and, and, and I, I built relationships with the police because I talked to them every day and they would tell me, the city police would tell me in this little town, she's like, you know what, if you ever get pulled outside of the city in the county, just keep driving, driving to the city, because if they pull you at night in the county, we don't know what's going to happen to you. And so all I'm saying by saying that is I believe that it was, that it probably was worse, but the way it looks right now because we can see everything for the first time. That's probably what it is. Um, but, but I do think like, you know, we want to give Jason a little bit of time to, 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 I want, I want to have a little fun here. Like Jason is this big, tough guy, this burly guy. He's strong. He likes to brag about being strong and like, but you know, I'll see him a little bit later this afternoon with his girls and he'll be a little teddy bear. And if, if Sarah looks at him funny, he'll be like mashed potatoes <laughs> so, so, so talk to me, Jason, what, what, what's going see, on, man? See, see, you say I like to brag, but I, I just, I just demonstrate when necessary. So, so Here the story go. you're talking about is Here when, we you know, you, we were at work and you were mouthing off in, in front of your, 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 your uh, rest of your team and making fun of me and, oh, you're big, bad cop. You couldn't do anything. And you put an arm on me. And you ended up on your table with, with I mean, I'm just going to say, I mean, you, I, you know, don't, don't put hands on me and then try to show off that you're something else. I, I just, I don't brag. I just, when, ha when necessary, I do what I have to do. Are there pictures <laughs> of this? 
No, just, no, just just in our minds, just in our minds. That 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 excuse my language, people. That hurt too. <laughs> like I'm not even lying. Like that hurt, and I still think about that. That was painful. There was nothing I could do at that point. <laughs> and, and and you know, and that's and that's the funny. It, it, we're laughing about it, but that's the when it, when when you when it's drilled into you. You know, you you got it's you got to get it out of you. And you can't because all we're doing is the same thing over and over again. Talk about how I changed it. You know, I realized what the definition of insanity was. You know, you do the same thing over and over again and try to expect a different result. And and I was doing the same thing over and over again. I was a part of a system that continued to think that punishment, incarceration, or tickets, or uh, was going to make people uh, do better. I, I was on a call t- this week, even people talking about having to do court over Zoom, and judges talking about how they felt. Uh, uh, disrespected if somebody wasn't fully ready for court over Zoom. I'm like, seriously? That's what you worry about? So we, we have a system that doesn't work for people, but we expect them to continue to conform to it. And I think the the reality is, is we joke around a lot of times about movies and how movies fit in. But, um, you know, we talk about we talked about a few good men before, and we're going to do it a little more because I think there's a lot of good cops out there who under stress and out of fear revert to biases and programming that we're all victims of. We've all been programmed in certain ways. Those other cops that were there with the murder of George Floyd, you know, they've talked already a little bit about the fact that they didn't feel they could, they could stop it. They, there's a culture that they could not speak out against a commanding officer. They couldn't, or a senior officer. So it really comes down to the fact that, you know, you go back to it and, 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 you know, for the very first time here on the podcast, it's the black coffee with little sugar crew players showing you exactly what goes through the mind of an officer after something like this. You know, I don't understand. Colonel Jessup said he ordered the code red. I know, but Colonel Jessup said he ordered the code red. What did we do wrong? It's not that simple. What did we do wrong? We did nothing wrong. Yeah, we did. We were supposed to fight for the people who couldn't fight for themselves. We were supposed to fight for Willie. <laughs> there you go. And, 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 and you know what? We had fun with that, but that's real. And, and sometimes people get in into the mindset of they're following orders or they're following the dogma and and people get hurt. If people watching or listening don't, if you don't understand what just happened, go back and watch a few good men. And and after you watch it about four or five times, um, you'll you'll laugh. You, you'll get it. <laughs> That's funny <laughs> stuff right there. Anyway, um, we're gonna transition. We're gonna end this by talking a little bit about Thomas Lane. Some of you know that name, but um, a lot of you, most of you don't. Um, he's one of the officers that's that's accused of of contributing to the death of um, George Floyd. And um, the Star Tribune, our local paper, they did a, a long feature on him last week. Um, we read that and it, it was it was kind of a fascinating story because um, a good a good reporter, when, when they're doing their job, they should humanize um, everybody that's involved in a story. And, you know, this guy happens to be white. And so, you know, it's kind of controversial that they humanized him um, and treated George Floyd like a dog. And so we, we still need to work. The media needs to work on that. But this this story, and I'm, I need to summarize it, it basically um, shows how, you know, an, a, an officer who was on his first week um, as an officer um, just ended up, things spiraled out of control. Um, it started off 
with him. You know, he had some problems with the law when he was growing up. Um, he couldn't figure out what he wanted to do in his career. Um, he tried different things, like he was in security. He had part-time jobs as, as an officer at some nightclubs. And um, everybody that um, was interviewed by the by the paper basically said they were shocked because this was not his demeanor. And they would describe his demeanor as the perfect calm that would be great if he actually became an officer. And so his dream was to be an officer. His, his He had family members that were police officers historically. And so he ended up having problems becoming an officer because he had problems with the law, but then he found a way around that and became an officer. And on his first week, um, you know, they teach you, it's sort of like the military, it's all about rank. Um, so now all of a sudden you have this senior officer that's running the show, killing a man, and now you have a junior officer that doesn't even know how to speak up because he's been taught not to. And so that's a good summary of that. You should go back and, and, and read that if you have a chance. Um, but it's fascinating. And, and, and I'm a media person. I'm trying not to be, but I still am. And, and it really talks, it speaks to the importance of having good reporters, black reporters, brown reporters in the newsroom and, and publishers and editors that can look at stories and develop them. Because we need more black men, young black men portrayed like Thomas Lane was portrayed last week. We need them to be humans too. We need everybody to see that they have lives and families and dreams and all kinds of things too. And so that's my um, little two cents in summary. But Jason and Yvette, I want you to react to that. So I just remember what it's like to be new on a job and, and not really kind of know your place. And I think about that, that officer at that time you know, I wonder kind of what was going through his mind. I know he didn't wake up in the morning to think that um, George Floyd incident was going to happen. So it's just so, so crazy. Um, but we need more black and brown folks in the in the media, like my brother was saying, because um, a different point of view needs to be brought to the forefront. Um, and the only way we can do that is if we get people who who, who know that story. Life. Yeah, I, I definitely believe that, you know, uh, from what I know uh, of folks is that, yeah, he did not wake up that morning deciding that this was what he wanted to do with his, the rest of his life. Um, but I also think that the point Stan made about being able to humanize everyone, we, we are very quick to demonize folks. Um, especially folks of color, when they get into this right away, people jump in and talk about, well, there was obviously a criminal history or there was a warrant, you know, the, the big, the big call is there was a warrant for uh, Jacob Blake, but you know, any cop that knows the worst there's something knows if they got a warrant, they're going to have a warrant tomorrow. They're going to have a warrant the next day. And it's, unless it's some kind of violent felony or some kind of kidnapping situation, you don't, you, there's no rush. So I think when we, we continue to demonize people in the media, but then we turn around as soon as this happens and now we want to humanize someone, I, I get nervous about it. But he definitely is a human. He deserves, uh, he deserves the fair trial that we, that we are all supposed to be promised. So uh, I think, again, as long as the media keeps going on everyone, uh, I think we're there. Well, um, that's a wrap, guys. We're going um, to get out of here. I'm getting ready to go have some fun with, with Jason and his family. State <laughs> um, Fair Food Day at, at the yeah, Mountain House. Yeah, can't wait. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and, 
send us a comment. I know we covered a lot of heavy topics today, but Jason, can you lighten the load a bit with one of your favorite movies? Like I say, when you feel like you can't handle the truth, just have some black coffee with a little sugar and it'll be all right. (laughs) Way to go, man. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody.